Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. I do want to encourage you to check out our other podcast. And of course, I'm highlighting the old time radio snack wagon at snackwagon.net, where we're presenting shorter, snackable bits of old time radio, interesting tidbits from a wide variety of different genres. We've had dramas, comedies, and interviews and a sports program. And we're only seven episodes in. We've got a lot more great stuff planned. Check it out at snackwagon.net. Well, now it's time to get into this week's uh, Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. As always, we will be bringing you episodes one and two on Tuesday, and then on Friday we'll bring you episodes three to five. So you can pause this episode and then wait till Friday to listen to the rest of it if you want to wait. But here, from May the 7th, and May the 8th, 1956, is the Silver Blue Matter, Episodes 1 and 2. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Ralph Dean, Johnny. Mono guarantee. Oh, hiya, Ralph. How are things? Rough. My wife could kill me, Johnny. For the insurance? No, just for kicks, because she's mad, because she wanted a mink coat. In short, she's a woman. I couldn't buy her a mink. I don't make that kind of money. You know how it is in the insurance game. Oh, sure, I know, Ralph. You're down to your last yetch. So what happens yesterday? I lose 80 mink coats, silver blue, worth $100,000. Gone, snatched, disappeared. Warehouse robbery? Check. Bandley Furrier's out in Los Angeles. My wife's about to blow her stack. She says if I can't afford one fur coat for her, then how come I can pay for 80 of them that I haven't even got? How do you reason with a woman, Johnny? I never try. Usually I just send flowers. I've already done that. She ran them through the garbage disposer. So now what do I do? Buy some more flowers. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Home Office Mono Guarantee Insurance Company, 4312 Spring Street, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Silver Blue matter. Item 1, $152.40, telephone and incidentals and transportation to Los Angeles. I called the Mono Guarantee agent out there before I left and got a brief rundown on the case. Among other things, I learned that a man I'd known and worked with before, Detective Lieutenant Raymond Garcia, had been put in charge. And with Garcia on hand, I knew I could count on cooperation by the police. But I still wasn't expecting quite as much as I got. Flight 12 for Las Vegas, Salt Lake, Minneapolis, and Chicago, now loading. At I knocked over the fur joint myself, Flight Johnny. Garcia! The only way we get to see you. How have you been? Overworked, underpaid, frustrated, disillusioned, unappreciated. In other words, fine. <laughs> Got your luggage yet? Yeah, it's coming right there. Good. We ought to get moving. I've got a squad car outside. What's all the rush? We've got a guy downtown in the hospital I figured you'd want to talk to. Well, he'll wait, won't he? He'd probably like to, if he had any choice. He's dying? Kind of looks that way. 
He's one of the two night watchmen the gang slugged when they broke into the warehouse. And he's our big one, Johnny. He's all we've got. Has he been able to talk? A couple of sentences during the night. He's got to talk. What do you mean? He's the only one who got a look at them. When he did talk, what did he say? Gibberish, mostly. He did say one thing, though. They were kids. Just a gang of kids. Oh, that's going to make it rougher. Yeah, in a lot of ways. What do you mean? You'll find out later, Johnny. Come on, let's go. We took the freeway into town with the accelerator floorboarded and the siren screaming. Racing against time and against dying. Weaving in and out through the four-wheel madness that Los Angeles calls traffic. And then the other side of the coin. The solemn quiet of hospital corridors. The calm voices of the nurses. And the blank hardness of sterile white walls. We sat there beside a bed and waited for a man to talk or to die. But the slow minutes passed, and he still did neither. So we waited. Guess that shot the doctor gave him is not going to have any effect. Apparently not. It's a crazy world, Johnny. No, just the people in it. I mean, yesterday, we'd never even heard of this guy. I still don't know his name. And 24 hours later, here we are. A couple of strangers sitting around watching him die. Yeah, it's here on his chart at the head of the bed. Albert Christmas. Strangers. Not even family or friends. He didn't have any family or friends. He lived alone in a furnished room. Worked alone, too, except for one partner. So, a gang of punks jump him and bust his head open. Dude, I'm a bad cop, Johnny. I, I get sentimental about things like this. How'd they work it, Garcia? It's a warehouse district. The streets are practically deserted at night. A police prowl car checks the street once about every 40 minutes, and they hit at 1.10 a.m., three minutes after the police had passed. Sounds professional. No, just a smart bunch of kids. The only fur they seemed to know was mink. They passed up a dozen or so chinchillas worth twice as much. How'd they get in? I don't know. Chrisman hasn't been able to tell us. They must have tricked him into opening the door. What about Chrisman's partner? He was making his rounds. They slipped up behind him and slugged him. He didn't see them. He didn't know what hit him. And nobody outside in the street saw anything? Saw them leave with the furs or anything? Nope. Or if they did, they're not saying anything. Oh, it's a rough one, Johnny. We haven't got a thing to go on. Except Chrisman here. The shape he's in, that's only a straw. If he recognized any of them, if he lives long enough to identify... Uh, at least the poor devil can groan. I don't know. I think he's closer to being conscious right now than he's been in the last hour. Maybe you're right. Chrisman? Order? He wants a drink. Yeah. Here you go. That enough? You want some more? Who are you? This is Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator from Hartford. I'm Lieutenant Garcia, L.A. Police. Warehouse. Kids. It's all right now. You're in the hospital now. It's going to be all right. My head... Do you feel like answering a few questions, Mr. Chrisman? <laughs> it won't take long. Those kids, how did they get in? Telegram. Telegram? He showed me the telegram through the window. Yes. When I opened the door, one of them hit me... I, Did you get a look at the boy who showed you the telegram? Yes. I, I saw him. Yeah? 18, 
13. What did he look like? Five, nine, ten. Dark skin, black hair. Uh -huh. how, how was he dressed? Dark jacket. Hard to think. Any scars? Anything unusual about him? No. <clears throat> My head. Are you sure? Sure. Would you recognize him if you saw him again? Yes. Any of the others? No. Only one. There was a mark on his arm. What kind of a mark? My head. Oh, my head. What kind of a mark on his arm? It's too bad. I, I, I. Well, that's that. Yeah, he's passed out again. Well, we got a description. Only one thing wrong with it. What? Right in that area, there are about 50,000 kids who fit it. I talked with Mr. Banley, owner of the Furs. Then Garcia and I went down to the warehouse. It stood on the fringe of the river bottom section, fronting the railroad yards and backed up by block after block of weather-beaten slum shacks. We looked through the warehouse, at the racks where the furs had hung, watchman's office where the gang had entered, but knew while we did it that we were only going through the motions. The police technicians had already been over the place inch by inch, and they'd found exactly nothing. Finally, we stepped out the door into the street, a drab gray street, cluttered with things cast off and discarded, dusty and hollow. There's the story of this whole district down here, Johnny. Right there in that street. Yeah. It's a backwash, a service yard. It's something you need, but don't like to look at, so you shove it out of sight. People you need, but don't want around. It's the same with them. You grew up down here, didn't you, Garcia? Yeah, I grew up down here. That's why they gave me this case. I know this section inside out. And that's why I told you this one was going to be tough. I think I get the general idea. Those kids came from that slum there to the east. One gets you nine on that. The people who live there aren't on our side, Johnny. If they do know anything, they won't talk, is that it? They wouldn't tell a cop the time of day. I don't mean they're criminals. Most of them aren't. It's just that they always put themselves on the other side. What about juvenile gangs? Do they operate around here? Oh, dozens of them. And there's another thing. A few of these gangs are pretty rough. And people who might talk don't because they're scared to. Oh, it's a great setup, Johnny. A fine place to look for a hundred grand in furs. You know, I've been thinking about the fact that they knew exactly the time to hit. They must have staked out here somewhere. Sure, and probably right in the place you're thinking. Hey, that lunchroom across the street? Oh, they had to be inside or the prowl car would have seen them. That's the only place open at night. Did you shake it down? Like I told you, Johnny, they won't give us the time of day. Uh-huh. What about me having a go at it? Yeah, maybe they wouldn't smell cop on you quite so strong. The owner's name is Red Wellers. He was on that night. See what you can get out of him if you want. I think I will. By the way, Johnny, I know you insurance guys make deals sometimes, no questions asked, just to get the loot back. Sometimes, yeah. Well, before you make any deal on this one, you better remember one thing. Chrisman may die. Say, Mac. Save your money. 
What do you want? Coffee? Yeah, I guess so. How's business? Bucket two a day, farther in the hole. Want cream? No, I'll drink it black. Want to sink it with it? No, thanks. Are you Red Willis? So that's it. What do you mean? You're in a fur case, ain't you? Maybe. I thought you was the same one, but I couldn't be sure seeing you across the street. You come up with that cop Garcia a while ago, didn't you? That's right. I'm an insurance investigator. Well, you come to the wrong address, mister. I don't know nothing about nothing. Who was in the lunchroom here just before the robbery? I don't remember. Any young kids here? No, it was all old men with long beards. I see. Ten cents for the coffee. Yeah, they got you real scared, haven't they? Haven't they? I don't know any of these. All right, look. You know Chrisman, the watchman over at the warehouse. He comes in. He didn't know any of these either. What about it? Nothing. Except he's dying. I'm at the Rilkins Hotel if you change your mind. Room 312, Johnny Dollar. Sorry, I don't see no use of me dying too. Follow me, Mac. Johnny Dollar. This is Red. Red Wallace, remember? Sure, sure. You run that lunchroom across the street from the warehouse that was robbed last night. Yeah, that's right. Now look, Dollar, supposing I tell you what I know about it, what's going to happen to me? Nothing. As long as you weren't mixed up in it yourself. No, no, no. I mean the papers and the cops. If it gets out I talk to you, I won't last 24 hours. I think I can take care of that. What do you know about it, Red? That depends on what it's worth to you. I see. I'll have to sell out, get away from this section, so I'll need some dough. You follow me? All right. I'll see you taken care of. Now, just what is it no, you... No, no, no. It ain't safe. I'm talking from a booth. You stay right there at your hotel. I'll see you in a half hour. Right. Just you. No cops. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, Mr. Beck. Mr. Beck? Yeah, six quarts of milk and two pounds of butter. Sure, right away. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Beck. Goodbye. Hello. Hello. <laughs> From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Los Angeles, California, to the home office, Mono Guarantee Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Silver Blue Matter. Expense account continued. <laughs> Item 4, 20 cents, a phone call to my friend Lieutenant Garcia of the L.A. Police and a call to Queen of the Angels Hospital. Albert Chrisman, the night watchman who was slugged by the gang of teenage hoodlums during the warehouse robbery, was still unconscious. And Chrisman, unless Red Weller was ready to talk now, was the only lead I had toward finding $100,000 worth of silver blue mink coats. I waited two hours and a half for Red Weller, but he didn't show. <laughs> Item five, $2.85, taxi to the warehouse district at the south end of the railroad yards. It was night by now, and the area was almost deserted. A lost, lonely district, shabby and worn, even in the softening darkness, and haunted now by fear. The only lights in the block were those shining from the windows of the warehouse office and from Weller's lunchroom across the street. Good evening. Hello. What would you like, sir? A cup of coffee, I guess. Oh, you're lucky. I just made some fresh. Good. 
Would you like some cream? No, thanks. No, that'll be fine. Is it foggy out? Yeah, a little. Not bad, though. Hey, this coffee's all right. You're a good cook. Thanks. The boss always has me make it when I'm here. He says I do it better than he does. I'll bet you do. Is the boss around, by the way? No, he, he called me and said he had to go out. That's why I'm working. I'm on in the daytime, mostly. Do you have any idea where he might be? No. No, he had to go somewhere, I guess. What'd you want to see him about? He wanted to see me. Do you know where he lives? Well, he's got an apartment over on Marina. It's about eight blocks from here. Think he'd be there? No, he, he wasn't going home. He, he was going out somewhere. He, he acted kind of strange. I, I don't know what he was going to do. May I, may I ask just what business you're in? Insurance. Oh. I'm a special investigator. What do you mean? I'm working for the company that insured those furs. The furs that were stolen the night before last from the warehouse across the street. Something wrong? Oh, no. No, of course not. I I don't know what you mean. Oh? Can I help you gather up that silverware? Oh, no, no, that's all right. Gee, I don't don't know what happened. Just careless, I guess. Yeah. Do you, uh... Do you live around here somewhere? Well, yes, yes, on Dalton, uh, three blocks up. What's your name? Carla, Carla Monty. Why are you asking? How long have you worked here, Carla? About a year. Do many teenagers hang out here? What do you mean? Kids, 17, 18, 19. Do many of them come in here for coffee, hamburgers? Well, sometimes, yeah. I've never noticed much. Know any of them? No, no, no. I don't know any of their names. Are you sure? I don't ask them their names. Did I ask you your it's name? It's Dollar, Johnny Dollar. Well, I still didn't ask you. If you want to tell me your... What are you scared of, Carla? Nothing. I'm not scared. You're not? Of course not. Why would I be scared? For the same reason your boss is, Red Weller. He was scared when he talked to me this afternoon and when he phoned me later. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, you do. That's why he didn't come to my hotel. He was afraid to. And why did you drop that silverware when I told you who I am? Because you're scared half to death. No. What's the matter with you people down here? What are you doing, crawling into a hole because a half-grown gang of hoodlums starts throwing their weight around? You don't understand. Then suppose you tell me about it. Do you think that's any kind of an answer in the long run? To pull the covers up over your eyes and let them do as they please and just keep hoping they'll leave you alone? All you're doing is making things worse. You don't know how it is. You don't have to live here. No, no, I don't have to live here, but I know how it is. Because I've seen it in other places where the mobs manage to take over. And if you let it happen here, then you'll really have something to be scared of. Maybe, maybe they've already taken over. Oh, a bunch of kids with a gripe on, running in packs so they feel safe? Is that the kind of mob you mean, Carla? No. They're not a mob yet, but they will be if they're not stopped. It seems to me you'd have some sense of responsibility to them, if nobody else. Maybe if other people had a sense of responsibility, kids wouldn't have to grow up in a place like this. Have you ever thought of that, Mr. Dollar? Yeah, yeah, I've thought of it. But it doesn't hold water. You'd think so if you lived here. All right, so it's a slum district. And sure, these kids start out with a strike on them. But that's a pretty weak excuse for joining up at criminal bands and terrorizing a whole neighborhood. For slugging people and looting warehouses. Yes, yes, I know. Most of them find other answers. It's only a small minority that turns to crime. But if you let them get away with it, others will join them and they'll grow until finally it's too late. Well, Carla, still nothing to tell me? I can't. I just can't. 
I see. Well, there's a quarter for the coffee. Keep the change. Good night, Carla. Wait. Yeah? Mr. Dollar, suppose... Suppose I, I knew someone who, who might be able to help you. I mean, I mean, who might know something about the robbery. Innocently, of course. Uh, if you talk to this person and, uh, and they agree to help you, could you... Well, could you keep them out of it? Depends on the circumstances. I do all I could, that much I promise. I don't know. I'm not sure. You're not sure of what? Of you... Why, oh, I know better when I stop and think, but I've lived in this neighborhood too long. Lived with these people and... I'm bound by the law like any other citizen. And I won't break it to help somebody cover up a criminal act. But I figure it's up to me sometimes to decide whether a thing is a criminal act. And if a person seems to deserve it, well, I can be pretty lenient. You promise? What you just said? Yes, I promise. I've got to trust you. I've got to trust someone. Do you know such a person, Carla? Yes. Do you know where to find them? I think so. Well, I'm sure they'll be at one of two or three places. Not very far from here. And who is this person? Someone who grew up around here. A boy, 19. What boy? My brother. Expense account item seven, $2.70, taxi. We went first to Carla's apartment where she lived with her brother, but there was no one there. Then we checked out a drive-in a few blocks away, a teenage hangout. No luck. Finally, we tried a pool hall down south of the yards, just off Alameda Street. It was our last hope. I know he comes here. It's not a good place for him, but a lot of the other kids do too. And he wants to belong. Yeah, sure. Everybody does, in one way or another. Gosh, it'd have been different if our folks had lived, but well, our boy just won't take orders from his sister. Yeah, I know. Go ahead. Thanks. Gosh, let's see. Well, if he's not here, then I just don't know where he. Oh wait. There he is, down near the corner, the one with the dark curly hair. All right, come on. Take it easy. Just tell him I'm a friend of yours. You want to talk to him? We'll get him off to one side. Whatever you say. Eddie! Yeah? Well, for the... What are you doing here, Carla? Eddie, Eddie, this is Mr. Dollar, a friend of mine. We were... I wonder if we could talk to you for a moment. What about? Well, You just... know better than to come in a joint like this. But I want to talk to you, Eddie. I can talk to me at home. Now. Go on, get her out of here, will you, mister? It might be a good idea if you listen to her first. I thought it was her that wanted to talk to me. Go on, get her out of here. All right, if you'll go with us. What for? I like it here. It's a nice place. Yeah? At least it's better than San Quentin. What are you talking about? A warehouse robbery. $100,000 worth of furs. I understand you may know something about it. Innocently, of course. I thought you said this guy was a friend of yours. Well, that's right, Eddie. He's just... Who is he? He's an insurance investigator. So that's the pitch. He's promised to help, Eddie. If, if you'll tell him whatever you know, he'll protect Knock you. Knock it off, get... Carla. Now, look, mister. I don't know nothing about nothing. I never even heard of no fur robbery. So take her with you and get out of here. This may be your last chance to get off before the boat sinks, Eddie. 
You're not leaving, huh? All right, then I'll leave. Eddie! Let him go. We can't force him to talk. Oh, no, Mr. Dollar. I don't understand him. I do. Item 810 cents, phone call from the pool hall to Lieutenant Garcia at police headquarters. He said there was no change in Albert Chrisman's condition yet. He was still holding on and he still hadn't talked. But there had been another new development, a big one. And when I joined Kyle in the taxi outside, she knew it by the look on my face. What's wrong, Mr. Dollar? Now look, how sure are you that your brother wasn't mixed up in that robbery? Well, I... I want the truth. I... I'm afraid he was mixed up in it. Then brace yourself, Carla. Your boss, Red Weller, who was going to tell me what he knew about it, was found murdered in an alley an hour ago. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, a lonely, broken-hearted girl, a blood-stained shirt, and a fight with a cornered rat. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back! An interesting first two parts. It not only begins to develop the story, but also discusses some important themes from the mid-1950s, such as the importance of fighting crime and standing up to criminals, and also the real danger posed by juvenile delinquency and the failure to address the causes of that. There was also a very big payoff from the episode 1 cliffhanger that came rather quickly in this story. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback. We start over on Instagram, where Julie the Lawyer writes regarding the first two episodes of The Lonely Hearts Matter. I loved when the widow said she wished her son was home so Johnny could meet him, and the way Bob Bailey voiced that, so do I, with such obvious suspicion. Then we go over to YouTube for some comments on the Lair Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope matter. Regarding episodes 1 and 2, Sacehoff writes, I don't always laugh at Johnny Dollar, but when I do, I know it's probably a Jack Johnstone episode. And then regarding episodes 3 through 5, okay, I sure didn't see this ending coming. And then another listener wrote in regarding the conclusion, and I read his comments on Friday regarding the first two episodes, and he says, I dissed the first two episodes the other day. These three uh, were so much better, and Jeanette Nolan is a treasure. My favorite, Lady Macbeth, in uh, Orson Welles' 1948 Republic film. Well, thanks so much, and I'll have to check that out. I love a good bit of Shakespeare, and I appreciate Orson Welles, although his work does tend to be a bit hit and miss. His films are either brilliant or terrible. So I try to see the really good ones like Citizen Kane and Touch of Evil and avoid having another viewing experience like watching Orson Welles and David and Goliath. Another listener writes, I'm so surprised at how much I enjoyed this considering it just randomly started playing from autoplay. Uh, yes, YouTube will do that. But I'm glad it worked out for you. And then another favorable comment from Betsy uh, regarding the indictment episode first smuggling. That was pretty good. Thank you. And we also have a couple of new reviews on the Apple Podcast Store. And uh, the first one here is from Garrett D527. Uh, and uh, they write, a great podcast featuring old-time radio detective and detective-adjacent shows from decades past. Adam provides insightful commentary on the shows, from the truly memorable to the painfully lame. It's a window into the world of radio entertainment as it used to be, and an opportunity to enjoy some of the great radio actors in their many guises. Well, thank you so much. And then another listener, Rose Broadcasting, writes, I enjoyed the show tremendously, and the host did a nice job on the presentation as well. I just gave five stars as my response. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate you listening and taking the time to go and write the podcast. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Timothy, Patreon supporter since April of 2022, currently supporting the podcast at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Timothy. 
And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those great things that make the channel grow. We also welcome your comments and really appreciate everyone who's engaging with us on YouTube. We'll be back on Friday with the conclusion of this week's Johnny Dollar story, but join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... There's the freighter, Mitchell. Yeah. Hey, they're loading crates out of that warehouse. Hey, look, up on deck. Yeah, Captain Schiller, keep back in the shadows. Right. You know, I'd like to find out what's in those crates. Wait, that looks like a side door to the warehouse just ahead of us. Let's try for it, huh? Mm-hmm. Anybody spot us? I don't think so. Inside, quick. Dark in here. Great, a guard. Quick, get behind those crates. Okay. Can you spot him, Mitchell? I can see his flashlight. He's heading this way. Yes, sir. Probably got a gun, too. Yeah, look. When he gets closer, I'll jump him. Good week. No. That was quick. Gotta work fast. It's only a question of minutes before they'll miss him. Yeah, look, there's a crowbar over there. Yeah. Well, one crate's better than any other, I guess. I'll try this one. The guard moving any? No. Oh, he's keeping the lantern now. Good. Okay. Hand me his flashlight, will you? Now, <clears throat> here you are. Hmm. Nothing but a bunch of paintings. What kind of a cargo is that? Wait a minute. Yeah. I'm no art student, but I recognize a few of these. They're masterpieces. Mitchell. Hey, this could be some of the stuff the Nazis looted from Europe. If I will get you ten, it is. So they had it hidden here in Dakar all the time. And Schiller has been delivering it little by little to the head art collector himself. Well, you've got enough evidence to grab, Schiller. Look, that's the last thing in the world I want to do right now. I'm a lot more interested in finding out just whom he's delivering this stuff to. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.